Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a guy that amongst all of the nuts, he is the head cashew. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are featuring 7th Sun American Strong Ale by the good folks over at 7th Sun in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Garage grade, four and three quarter bottle caps out of five. This beer is just as suggested, strong, 7.7% ABV and one of my local favorites. And this week's beer was brought to us by some of our non-local favorites right here. First up, a big thanks and cheers to Wendy in Portland, Oregon. And a big shout-out to Amy and Tyler from Louisville, Kentucky. Next up, we have Dustin in Salt Lake City and his friend Deidre. And a big uh, we like your jib to Angela in Aloha, Oregon. Next, here's a cheers to Molly, who says try Monday Night Brewing, which, Molly, sadly, we can't get that here. So if you wish to send some beer, the address is on our website. Thank you to everyone for going to that website, truecrimegarage.com, and helping out with this week's beer fund. Make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can find us at True Crime Garage. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Brian Randall Schaefer grew up in Pickerington, Ohio, a suburb of Columbus. He is the oldest of Randy and Renee Schaefer's two sons. Brian graduated from high school in 1997 and went on to attend The Ohio State University. Six years later, he graduated with a degree in microbiology. In 2004, he began studies at Ohio State's College of Medicine 
During his second year of studies, in March of 2006, his mother, Renee, sadly passed away due to cancer. Brian's friends say that although he appeared to be handling it fairly well, her death was very hard for him. But Brian had a lot of friends to help and support him. He also became romantically involved with a fellow second-year medical student, Alexis Wagner. She, along with their families and friends, believed that Brian would probably be proposing to her, most likely on a trip to Miami the couple planned for the beginning of April. On February, March 31st, classes at Ohio State ended for spring break the next week. Brian and his father, Randy Schaefer, celebrated the occasion by going out for a steak dinner that evening. Randy noted that Brian seemed exhausted from his studies and cramming for some important exams. At 9 p.m., Brian met his friend Clint Florence at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, a bar in the South Campus Gateway Complex on High Street. An hour later, Brian called his girlfriend, Alexis. She was away, returning to her hometown in Toledo, about a two and a half hour drive from Brian's location, to visit with her family before she and Brian were due to depart for Miami. From there, Brian and Clint went bar hopping, visiting several other drinking establishments and working their way down to the arena district. At each stop, the two had one shot each, according to Clint. After midnight, the two met Clint's friend, Meredith Reed, in the short north. She gave them a ride back to the ugly Tuna Saluna, and the three of them went into the bar for one last round of drinks. At some point, Brian separated from his friends, saying he was going to go talk to the band. As closing time was approaching, Clint and Meredith say they were looking for Brian and calling him repeatedly. Unable to find him, they left the bar with the other patrons when the bar closed at 2 a.m. Then, they waited outside for Brian, but never saw him. They assumed he had gone back to his apartment without letting them know. Brian's girlfriend Alexis and his father Randy Schaefer both tried to call Brian later that weekend, but he did not answer. On the morning of Monday, April 3rd, Brian missed the flight to Miami that he and Alexis had scheduled long before. At that time, 27-year-old Brian Schaefer was reported missing to the Columbus Police Department. The investigation led police back to the Ugly Tuna Bar, where Brian was last seen. The South Campus Gateway Bar had security cameras. Detectives reviewed the footage, which showed Brian, Clint, and Meredith going up an escalator to the bar's main entrance at 1.15 a.m. Then, Brian could be seen again, this time outside of the bar, around 1.55 a.m., talking briefly with two young women. The two women leave, and then Brian is seen moving off-camera in the direction of the bar, apparently to re-enter. Later, Clint told police that he had seen Brian after he returned inside the bar, and they were planning to leave, but he lost track of him. 
However, what investigators could not find on the security camera footage was Brian leaving the bar when the ugly tuna closed. To add to the mystery, back at Brian's apartment on King Avenue, just six blocks away from the ugly tuna, his car was found still parked outside. Inside the apartment, nothing seemed out of place and nothing appeared to be missing. Flyers of Brian's picture showing a stick figure tattoo on his upper right arm were distributed and the Columbus Police Department was asking the public for their help. The stick figure tattoo is from the cover artwork for the song Alive by Pearl Jam. Brokenhearted, Alexis called Brian's cell phone every evening before going to bed for a long time after the disappearance. Usually, it went directly to voicemail, but one night in September, it actually rang three times. A ping from the phone was detected at a cell tower in Hilliard, just 14 miles northwest of Columbus. Singular, Brian's wireless provider said what Alexis heard may have been due to a computer glitch. In September of 2008, during a heavy windstorm in central Ohio, Brian's father, Randy Schaefer, was out in his yard, clearing debris. A branch broke off from a nearby tree and fatally struck him. Neighbors found his body the next morning and called police. After, Randy's obituary ran online. A condolence book was posted. One of the signatures posted read, To Dad, Love Brian, U.S. Virgin Islands. This suggested Brian might have left Columbus for a new life elsewhere. However, upon further investigation, the note was found to have been posted from a computer accessible to the public in the greater central Ohio area, and it was determined to be a hoax. Brian Schaefer has been missing since April 1st of 2006. He is Caucasian, six foot two inches tall, with light brown hair and hazel eyes. At the time of his disappearance, he was approximately 165 to 170 pounds. He was wearing jeans, a short sleeve polo shirt over a white long sleeve shirt, white Adidas sneakers, and a yellow cancer awareness bracelet. Brian was 27 years old at the time of his disappearance in 2006, but recently would have celebrated his 40th birthday. Authorities do not believe Brian left of his own accord, but it is unclear what caused his disappearance. If you have any information concerning this case, please contact the Columbus Police Department at 877 877- 645-8477. If you do not wish to speak to the police, you can submit your tip to the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers at stopcrime.org or call them at 614-461-8477.
Back in 2016, we covered the missing persons case of Brian Schaefer, and it has since become one of our red light cases, one of our favorite missing persons cases that has intrigued us and the listeners throughout the years. Joining us today in the garage, we're so happy to see you guys, longtime friends of the show, Tim and Lance from Crawl Space, from Missing Mar Murray, from... How many podcasts do you guys have? Like 10 now? All of them except this one. Okay. <laughs> and I actually, I just heard that they bought half of our show. Ooh. But the sale is currently in the works. So yeah. by, the, by the time this episode's over. My half. You bought my half. Yeah. Well, welcome to the garage, guys. Thank you very much. This is beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It's a lot more cozy than I anticipated. It's very nice here. Could you tell us a little bit about your projects? Uh, first with the crawl space and then missing Mara Murray. Sure. I'm Tim and uh, we we cover a lot of uh, missing person cases. We cover some uh, murder cases. We kind of bounce around a little bit on crawl space, but we will uh, do kind of comprehensive looks into certain cases like Brianna Maitland for one. And we also do missing Mara Murray. That is uh, 98 episodes uh, deep at the current moment on the missing Mara Murray. And with crawl space, we try to speak with people who are like-minded in in this genre so criminal psychologists investigative journalists other podcasters whether uh it's you know true crime podcasters or maybe somebody that has a connection to it Mm -hmm. um and so yeah we we try to be sort of a little bit more all-encompassing with crawl space uh there's also empty frames which season one was about the isabella stewart gardner museum heist in boston which is probably the most significant art heist in history, at least in America. And we moved on from season one to season two. We just started covering other art heists, other art crimes, other significant moments in in art history because we didn't realize how much we really liked it when we were when we were doing empty frames and we made a bunch of connections and these people would email us uh, stories say well did you know about this one did you know about this did you know that this is a fake and they thought it was real so it really uh, it really kind of piqued our interest. So regarding the missing persons case of Brian Schaefer, I liken you guys to missing persons experts, 90 some episodes of Missing Mara Murray. Captain and I have been longtime listeners of that show. Thank you. Do you guys remember the first time you heard about the Schaefer case? I think it was from you guys actually a couple of years ago. I remembered seeing the, a video of it and I don't even know where I saw the surveillance video and then, yes, I made the connection after hearing you guys cover the case. And then I realized, oh, that video that I saw, that guy who left the bar and he was sort of on the edge of the frame of the surveillance video. Oh, that's that guy. And I can't remember when that video was released or where I saw it. But that that was the first time. And it was I, maybe it was like five or six years ago. There was like a nine minute segment on a national show. Years ago, yeah, on yeah. the case. Um, any of your anything that jumps off the page to you guys immediately? Any red flags just from your initial reaction when you first learned about this missing persons case? Because all these cases that that you guys discuss on your show, that we discuss on our show, they're all unique in their own way. They mm-hmm. all have their whys and hows and and what ifs that that you go into, but. Any first reactions that you remember having or first thoughts regarding this case? Confusion. And uh, it's, this has really got to be one of the most perplexing missing person cases that I've ever looked into because 
the other cases that we cover, like Maura Murray, Brianna Maitland, and we're dipping our toe into Brandon Lawson a little bit, I feel like they have outcomes that are a little more grass grabbable, graspable. This one is just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been batting around ideas in my head, and it's very confusing. One thing that is really confusing to me is that, like Tim said, we, we cover more Murray, Brianna Maitland, uh, Brandon Lawson. So you have a single person in a single incident not surrounded by anybody else uh, that that is in the immediate vicinity. You know, there might be a house or two here or there, but with with Brian Schaefer, he's in a bar that's very busy and there's a lot of people and he he leaves and you have security footage of him leaving and going back in one time and then there's there's no security footage of his actual exit that was you know led to his disappearance so all of these things and he talked to the band you know all of these things were like well this person doesn't really seem like they intended to disappear mm-hmm. did he slip and get into an accident and there's no real circumstance in his life that you can absolutely pinpoint and say, well, this is why he's he's leaving. Like, there's nothing in his life that is any different from things things that have happened in my life or other people's lives. Right. And they haven't disappeared. Well, I also think with missing person cases in general that when we don't have pieces of evidence or we don't know what the story is, we tend to start making it up. And so what's weird with the Brian Schaefer case is you have to prove – there is no evidence that he left the bar. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like there's a lot of times where it's like you can go, well, maybe he went back to his apartment. Maybe he went to somebody else's house. But you can't. There's no evidence of him actually leaving the bar safely that night. Well, and what's really truly at the center of this case, and I think it's why it became such a Internet sensation, you know, is – the whole surveillance footage of Brian going into the bar. Then we see him come out briefly, speak with some young ladies, and then it appears that he's re-entering the bar. And I think that the whole thing of having no footage, and as the captain pointed out, no proof that he ever left that bar or that building is really the the thing that jumps off the page right away. That's I think that the quick leap that everybody wants to do mm-hmm. And it's just natural is you have less questions about Brian, who he is, what was going on in his life, right? Less questions about who he was with that night. Or as you said, you know, he's in a public place surrounded by a whole bunch of people shortly before we no longer know where he is. And I think that the natural reaction and the natural leap is to go. I have a lot of questions about this bar. I have a lot of questions about this building. I have a lot of questions about this area which I think is unique to this case. Yeah, but um, what it makes it makes it even more unique because this structure was a newer build. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like some bar that people have been in their whole life. So even talks around town, people would go, oh, yeah, he went missing from the ugly tuna. Have you been there? Oh, I've never been there. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that that makes a, a lot of sense because you want to somehow identify with it. It's just it's another piece of the mystery that you have to put together in your head. And you have to start there. And you have to right, you have to start there. A general description of this building and bar 
Captain, let's try to go through that for, for everybody. So the, the bar itself is inside of a, a building. The, right, second the, floor. Second floor. It shares the building with some other businesses. It's A lot of things have changed with that building throughout the years. Um, obviously, this case is now 13 years old. But um, So the bar is on the second floor. There's basically one entrance to and from the bar. We'll call that the main entrance to and from the bar that goes from the bar to the building to the second floor of the building. And then you take the escalator up and down to get to the main entrance of the building. Right. So let's just go. You, you walk through, there's a big parking garage. You park there. Normally you walk through a courtyard, you get to the ugly tuna, you go through the main doors. You have to go up the escalator then there's a little landing platform, and then to the right is the entrance to the bar. Once you're in the bar, it's basically a square, and then there's little patio space outside, but it's it's a cool patio because you're on the second floor, so you can kind of look down onto the courtyard and look down onto High Street, which is the main street of the campus. But what law enforcement tells us is, well, we have footage of the escalators and we and what they claim is there is no record of Brian leaving that escalator that night the other back way out which would be for the band which would be for service workers of the bar and possibly somebody that was in the bar a customer that left the wrong way we know through conversations with the band and some of the people that work there, even security that that door, the exit door didn't have a camera on it, but what it did have was there was a long hallway to get to that exit and that had a camera on it. And they claim that there is no sign of Brian Schaefer going down that hallway. And that's a straight hallway. Well, I've never been in that hallway. It's basically, again, you're on the second floor, so it's a hallway that's going to lead you to a possible elevator or stairways. Right. So, but we just know that if you take the bar, which is basically a square, that once you leave that front door, it'd be kind of hard not to be seen by that escalator. And then the back exit, there's a hallway that, that is monitored by a camera. And they claim, now they never released that footage. Now, I have never heard the lead detective, uh, Hurst, actually talk about the back hallway. It was a, a secondary detective, I believe Detective Edwards. He's pretty clear that we don't see Brian on that video at all. Yeah, because if they did see him, what, what do you think the law enforcement's response would be to the public? That he left the bar. That right. Yeah. So they, you think, and I, I agree, right? Like you think that law enforcement would give a, an unofficial statement saying we did see him exiting through the, through the service uh, door. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but let, but let's be a little more clear too, because when you go, hey, this guy never left the bar, and we haven't seen him. So did he die in the bar? Was there a, was there a foul play inside the bar? And there is no evidence of that. Right. The bar was super cooperative with the police. I believe they actually shut down for a couple of days and, and let them search everywhere. And so there's no sign of struggle, no sign of foul play inside the bar. So it's, it's almost like poof. He, he 
vanish into thin air. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. And to put it in its simplest form, when we say he, he never left the, the building, he never left the bar, we have no proof that he left, law enforcement took that a step further. We're, we Not only is there footage of everyone entering the bar, going up the escalator, they went back and they, they accounted for every person that they could see going in right. and every person they could see going out, Brian being the only one that, that they never could locate, could never speak to. They spoke to everybody that was there that night. Right. So much so that there was an individual that they were calling orange sweatshirt guy or orange sweater guy right. for a while. And that's because there was an individual that came into the up the escalator. They had him on footage. And then all of a sudden there's later when they close, there's this mysterious individual that they didn't see come into the bar and they could identify that this individual was wearing an orange sweater or sweatshirt. It took a while, but they tracked down that guy and he had what everybody would, it's a believable story. I went into the bar wearing this outfit and I brought my sweatshirt with me. I got cold. I put it on and left with it on. That's why I look different may have appeared to be a different person on surveillance footage. So all these people were accounted for. Now, there are obviously a lot of theories out there regarding this disappearance of Brian Schaefer, but one of the more dominant theories, well, some of the more dominant theories are, did someone murder Brian? Did he kill himself? Is he still alive? You know, did did the death of his mother just three weeks before the disappearance and the stress of medical school cause him to run away from his life. For the longest time, I thought somehow he got out of the bar, even though we don't see him, made it down the stairs and left the building. This obviously would be difficult with the cameras. But if he did, and this is what I've always kind of thought, and I believe this was my theory when we first covered it, was that this was simply a robbery that went bad. His apartment was six blocks away. It's quite conceivable being drunk and missing his ride after the bar closes that he would just walk home. Well, let's go through that for a second, too. So Brian goes up the escalator. He's with his friend Meredith and Clint, two friends that he's been out drinking with all night. And he's pretty flirty with some women at the Ugly Tuna. At some point... They're going, hey, Brian, we got to go. And he goes, I'm going to go talk to the band. They then say we, they didn't see him. Maybe he went to the bathroom. They, I believe they claim that they checked the bathroom. And they also called Brian, I think, several times to let him know, hey, we're leaving. And plus the bar is closing. So they don't hear from him, so they take off. We, we have them on footage leaving the parking garage. I do want to point out something real quick here, too, on that note, Captain, regarding them saying his friends, Meredith and Clint, saying, well, we checked the restrooms. We're looking for our friend. Right. The layout of the bar is such that the restrooms, there's a very little hallway. I mean, it's like two steps into this hallway, and you very quickly can enter the women's restroom or the men's restroom. That little hallway containing the restrooms is very close to the main entrance of the bar. Right. So it's not like they went to the other side of the bar, checked the restrooms, and he could have slipped out the front door without them, the friends seeing them. Mm-hmm. They would have been in a prime position had he been either using the restroom, in the restroom, or or attempting to leave. But also this bar is such a square that if you walk into the front entrance, and you, there's a little bit of a 
a nook that you have to get into the bar. But once you're actually into the bar, you can pretty much see the whole layout yeah. of the bar. So if your friend was way over in the corner, you could see him. So very strange. And then for the longest time, we didn't know what the name of the band was. And luckily with um, uh, a new, let's say, investigator on the case, Nicholas West, he was able to come out and say, hey, we, we know the name of the band. And the band is called Rock House. And we were able to actually talk to, with all three individuals. And they didn't have anything spectacular to say because they don't remember talking to him. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it 
absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. So Brian wanted to talk to the band at like 155 or something. That's what um, I've read. And the bar closes at two. So. Right. So around one fifty-five ish he is last seen going to talk to the band, and you just said that the band has no recollection of speaking to him, and the bar closes at 2. There's a bunch of people that are now exiting. We've all been in bars where it's the end of the night, the lights go on, and the bouncers go through, and the staff goes through, and they're like, all right, everybody out. Right. So no one sees him from after 155 and no one sees him after two to when the entire bar is uh evacuated or not evacuated but cleared i and here's the thing is i i'd actually argue so let's just go through a little bit of what the guitar player told me okay and i actually played with this guy uh in a band for i want to say at least five years this guy was very meticulous on how he loaded in his gear how he unloaded his gear he was the utmost professional and i learned so i mean 10 years older than me but i it's like you play a gig with him and you go oh that's how it's done and the guy would get to the gig 
pull up his car to whatever the, the entrance was, unload his stuff, and at the end of the night, whether he took his guitar out to the car first or his guitar amp out to the car first, he almost did it the same way every time you played with him. It was like, and he, so I said, hey, what do you know about that night? He goes, well, I know I was there. I know I don't remember much, but they did have a handful of friends that came out to party with them because it was around springtime and everybody's like, hey, let's go check out Rock House. And I believe it was like maybe the second time they ever played there. They had to go through this back way, which there was no camera on. And he remembered that there was no camera on the back because people was asking him over and over, hey, you were there the night Brian Schaefer went missing. Was there a camera on the back door? He's like, no, there wasn't. But they have the, the band on footage going down that hallway or that's what the detectives claim. So he says they're talking. He didn't, doesn't remember talking to a guy. He also is the type of guy that wouldn't give a guy much of time to talk like, Oh, you want to talk about guitar? I don't really care. So he loaded up his stuff. He remembers having an Explorer at the time. And as he's loading up the Explorer, his buddies, not like customers left the same way he left and they were all around his car and he also states there's three guys in the band they left the same way all of our buddies left the same way and people that worked in the bar left that way so there was a herd of people that left through that back entrance and I wonder if that's where the detectives are, are missing something. They have to be missing something. When they say that everybody was accounted for, that's not accurate. They can't, that can't be possible. Because I don't think did, that's true. If yeah. Brian got out of the bar, it's true. Right. If, well, if, well, how would he get out of the bar without being seen on either one of those cameras? I don't know. Right. So if he didn't get out of the bar and he didn't crawl up into the ceiling tiles... Yeah, I was going to ask about the roof. I mean, I, I like, uh, harkens to uh, Elisa Lamb a little bit, but was there... Uh, Obviously, searches of the roof and things like that, I'm sure. That's interesting because I don't think we've ever gotten into that type of discussion actually with anybody. And I've talked about this case a thousand times. What about the restroom? Is there a window? Because now you're saying no. the roof. Okay, so no window. So how would he get to the roof? So re regarding the band situation, the, the, the stage itself is like, you know, it's not like separated from the crowd. Anyone can just walk right up to this little stage and talk to the band at any time. The The two times that I have been there, it's not uncommon for people in the crowd to be handing people on stage drinks. So there is a lot of little interaction. Right. So it's not unheard of that Brian very well could have spoke to anyone in the band, maybe everyone in the band, and they not recall him because he's just another guy at the bar, just another 20-something that they talked to 50 different people that looked like him that night. Well, and, we're all, and the, we're all dudes. I mean, let's be honest. If you're playing guitar and there's a bunch of girls there to talk to you, are you going to take the time out to talk to them or some dude you never met? But it's also the type of bar that they the management did not, sh you know – frown upon the the band getting nice and toasted while they were there as well right. so uh the, there is one little th there is an interesting thing that i that i've recently heard on this case is there was another exit from the bar and that was a fire exit 
now. So this would be one that is clearly marked that says, you know, if you open this door, the alarm will sound. Okay. Um, you know, so you, it's not really a public entrance or exit. The interesting I, thing that I heard recently, and I, I have no way of verifying this, but someone that was there that night, someone that uh, that spoke with Brian, and this would be one of the women that were outside that we see him on surveillance footage at 155 go outside and talk to, right. just outside of the bar, still inside the building. She has said that it was somewhat common knowledge to the regulars of the ugly tuna that, that you could open that fire exit without any alarm actually sounding. Well, and, and let me stop you there. It, it doesn't have to be common for regulars. It like Brian wasn't really a regular there, but all he had to do is see somebody do it once that night. And then right. he was like, or, or oh, be I so can... drunk. He ignored the sign. Right. True. Um, and, and, and right. It, it's, I be, from what I've been told, that fire exit will lead into what is the construction, what would have been the construction area at that time. Is that behind the building? So, Captain, help me out with that. That would have... I, well, they they I talk a it was lot like, about... Like I said, it's a new newer build. So a lot of people talk about that there was construction happening. Some of the uh, restaurants in the building weren't complete yet. Some of the stores weren't complete yet. That speculation has uh, kind of been thrown out the window recently, claiming that the stores, for the most part, were done. There was some construction going on, some light construction, some drywalling and stuff like that. The major construction was in the basement. That there was, I don't believe that the stores were separated yet in the basement. And I think they were trying to separate those to give them possibly storage um now talking with the band they said hey there was some construction but not anything that you're going to like fall in a pit to your death and now this has been um put out in the public lately and people have been you put this out on the internet and a lot of people come back going you know well you don't know for sure and because that's one of the big things on the internet is that he fell into a hole and got drywalled over or fell into a hole and they put cement on him or he he fell somewhere and accidentally died and the construction company buried him inside the building and to cover it up. This is interesting. I'm looking at this on Google Earth, the mm -hmm. building. And so the parking garage has always been there, correct? And that's yeah. behind it. Yeah. And it's right on a corner. So the construction was in like the little courtyard here on the side. So it looks like you can walk through a courtyard where they probably have tables. Right. It doesn't, I, what I'm saying is I don't see an area where a construction site would be so big and, and sort of treacherous. Dangerous. Yeah. Right. So Unless there were no, have, yeah, there were no like, like big holes. There were, there was nothing that he could have fallen into or anything like that. I mean, I, it's hard to believe no matter how drunk he is, it's hard to believe he could, impale himself or somehow accidentally kill himself while walking through that and then all of a sudden what happens so the next person who saw him just took him well and we're talking about search sites yeah that once they you know a couple days after he goes missing we have hundreds of people in that area in that bar searching so i don't think it's that far-fetched that the guy could have had an accident and and hurt himself 
I don't think it's that far-fetched, but what's far-fetched is the building's not huge. I mean, and if you have hundreds of people searching for him, they're going to they're gonna come across uh, an injured Brian Schaefer. So, right. So, yeah, it's not far-fetched for someone to get into an accident, hit to their head, hurt. to yeah. get right. hurt. I mean, even if he fell and hit his head the, the wrong way and, and it kills him. So then what happened to his body? Where right. who, who saw that? I, I have a hard time believing that a management group of a bar, while it would look very bad, would suddenly turn to cover, cover, cover this body up, let's dispose of it. I, I find it really hard that normal people would go so far left of center and, and deviate right. off of their regular way of thinking and not have one person say, guys, we should just call the cops mm-hmm. and, and we'll, we'll work this out. I mean, there might be a lawsuit, but we'll figure this out. They weren't going to be culpable for his death. You know, I don't. Well, oh, well I, I mean, if they were or weren't, I mean, you normal people well, have I, that conversation, right? I mean, I guess legally there's maybe an argument, but it's not, like in that scenario, it's not like th- whoever approached him or found him killed him. Right. So why would? Yeah, it, it's really hard to wrap your head around the idea that someone came across a uh, deceased Brian Schaefer and like did something with his body, called a friend, you know, went to bury him, or one person's not doing that. Now, and and two makes it more unlikely too because then you have two people involved two right two or more that's why i've always wanted you guys to look into this case because it's funny to me that somebody could look into a case like this and then make the leap that these construction workers that we don't know who they are we make the leap that they came across a guy that had an accident and he's dead and they covered it up or there is some thought that they constructed over him on accident, right. that they didn't see him. But mm-hmm. as we just discussed, this isn't an area where we're talking about huge pits and, and you know, deep right. crevices or anything like that. that or that can, it wasn't checked. Right. And, and the other thing, too, that we should keep in mind, and I, I understand that, you know, everybody has their own work schedule, but he's last seen at 155-ish. He, he entered, you know, they're out partying on a Friday night. So now this is very early Saturday morning. He's missing, legitimately missing by per law enforcement by Monday morning. So if, if, if nobody was working on that construction on Saturday, Sunday, the law enforcement was back in that building. I would say what by noon at the latest. Right. I mean, that was the first place they, they I mean, they made a, make a couple phone calls and then they go straight to that building to look for this individual on yeah. Monday on Monday. So it seems unlikely too that, that he would be overlooked and accidentally constructed over. Yeah. And also cadaver dogs were brought to the scene and they didn't hit on anything. Right. From my understanding. So that would tell you that, that he probably wasn't constructed over. So regarding that, uh, jumping back to that fire exit that led to the the construction area, and there was an exit. You could walk through the construction area and exit the building. And the detective's exact words are, that would be a difficult area to walk through sober. But the word, I think people make the giant leap when they hear somebody say that. Difficult doesn't mean like you doesn't know, mean you impossible. can't do it, right? Yeah. Th- that it's a, a death, a life or death situation, battle conditions. You know, it's it could just be you could trip and fall, you know, or it could be difficult to navigate your way. But the thing is, 
even though someone could go out that door. Now, what I've been told and what I've heard through interviews with the detectives involved in this case is there was no, and I found this to be strange, there was no camera on that door that you could access from the fire exit through the construction area. However, what law enforcement has said on the record that they did was they went to surrounding to neighboring buildings and businesses that would have had surveillance in the area. And they could determine through that that they they have no reason to believe that he left through that door. So that was actually one of my questions. The police looked at all the footage from surveillance cameras CCTV that were available at that, the time that were available in the neighborhood in both directions and found nothing. Right. He's on right. the roof. He's got to be on the roof. I mean, where does this person go? How, how in the world does this person, unless he changed and put on, um, um, like a, a scarf around his face or something, he, a hoodie, something. Well, and right, but we on. can cite one particular specific incident where there were, I believe there was a scent, that the dogs hit on and it was in the direction of the Wendy's restaurant, which I, I don't, I don't know the particulars of where that would have been. I think it might be across the street. Right. But was that a dog that was tracking Brian's scent or was that a cadaver dog? They, the law enforcement later told his father, Randy, that it was probably just a, a fluky thing that they don't think that the dog was actually hitting on something regarding Brian, that it might've been hitting on just the something. Right. Yeah. And the reason why he was able to tell Randy that is I do know that they did review footage from the Wendy's uh, restaurant. Mm -hmm. So, and again, found nothing to give anyone reason to believe that he walked in that direction. And Columbus, Ohio has a lot of uh, surveillance cameras from what I understand as well. So, He would have been picked up at some point on camera when he was walking home, right? I don't know how far they went into that. Yeah. Uh, or some of these stores at that time, because the campus was kind of going through a, they were revamping it. So it was, they're, they're making it a little bit nicer, a little more college friendly. Renovating. A little yeah. more friendly yeah. for everyone, actually. It was not so friendly of a place at three in the morning on a Saturday. Right. Uh, dangerous? In the 90s, okay. you know. Yeah, but, but if it, you look at it now, you'd be like, wow, I would walk anywhere at four o'clock in the morning down there. So regarding where his apartment is in relationship to the Ugly Tuna Saluna Bar, it's my belief that once he got off the main strip there, He's six blocks away down right. King Avenue and the, the businesses, there's not many on King Avenue. There's a big church. There's a whole bunch of like, uh, apartments and these are, this is kind of an old area, an old street, old buildings, old apartments. It's my belief. And I'm, I'm very firm on this is that once he got off that main strip, I don't think there would have been any surveillance right. or, or, or much to pick him up or anyone. One, one thing I, I can't get out of my head is, um, you know, when, when you're in a bar, when you're in a location or anywhere, you know, you're often being videotaped and you don't know. You don't, you don't know it. You're not aware of it. And furthermore, you don't know where you are on the frame. So if you're trying to hide from a surveillance camera that you don't, know what the frame is right. how are you going to do that mm-hmm. seems impossible 
Right. Well, and like I was saying before, we law enforcement released the footage of the escalator. And I believe at some point, right after he went missing, there was a website I believe they would send you to, and it was like an hour-long footage. It was basically 15 minutes before the bar closed to an hour later. And I remember watching the whole hour or whatever was released to, to the public. Now it's just like a couple short clips. You see the clip of him going up the escalator. You see him talking to the two girls just outside the bar, and then you see him... Uh, you see some people leaving the bar, but you don't see Brian, obviously. But they've never released that back hallway footage. And I just wonder, I'd really like for them to release both of the footages. Because I think now with people with trained eyes or this armchair detectives, how many people could sit there at their work instead of being on Facebook and go through this footage and maybe pick up on something that they didn't see. Yeah, it's a great point. But I think if they were to release those uh, those videos, then you would have people uh, photographed, like the band members, for example. So you'd have to blur their faces out. And then if you put out a, a video with people's faces being blurred out, the people, the armchair detectives are going to be like, how do we know that's not Brian? Right. Well, why would you blur out somebody's face? Why wouldn't you? Well, if you're law it, enforcement, that's what they do. You don't want you don't want uh, regulars, you know, approaching these people and saying, "I you know, I know what you did." Or yeah, whatever. that's true. That's well, true. Well, and I'm going to give a couple uh, statements that are going to contradict themselves. But regarding that back hallway footage, let's call it that. Okay, this back hallway, they say they've seen the footage. They saw the band. They saw other individuals leave through this area. I I've got to believe that there there is no reason i don't find anything weird about them not releasing it i what what i think we would have here is if they had reason to believe or any type of actual evidence that they believe that he left the bar alone or left with someone that would be the statement that that would be the statement yes. that would be, because you need the public's help you need someone to you need the public to get off this idea of the building and the bar and go, okay, well, did I see something on the street that night? At least the general direction. We saw him walking towards this street. It's only weird in this situation because we have this mystery about someone vanishing into thin air, never leaving a bar. Every other case where you have a scenario that's exactly the same, but there's evidence or something to suggest that they did leave their location be it alone or with other people, what is the statement law enforcement always gives? We, you know, this individual is missing. Last seen leaving the bar mm -hmm. alone. Last seen leaving the bar with other individuals. We would not only like information regarding this missing person, but we also want to know who these individuals are that were this person was seen leaving with. Mm -hmm. And so that would be there. Th there's no reason for them not to release that type of statement. So I, I think that I, we can firmly say that there is nothing to indicate to the investigators that are closest to this case that, that they have proof that he left the bar. Now here's where I go to the other end of this and kind of right. contradict this. I think that they, while they don't have any proof that he left the bar, I think that all of the investigators, all the detectives that worked this case the longest, I think, and they've not they've not been on record to say this, I think they all believe that he left the bar. 
and these are seasoned detectives. Well, like, and these are smart individuals. And the reason why I say that is because we've had at least one of the detectives that said, you know, ever since that case, anytime I'm in a large crowded area, I'm looking for Brian's face. Well, if you didn't, if he didn't believe that he left the bar, he's not looking for Brian's face and, you know, in the crowd. And police don't often speak metaphorically. Right. He's not saying, you know, his face haunts me. Right. Well, yeah. Missing person cases can mess with you in that way, though, for sure, and make you think uh, irrational things. But I do, I do kind of agree that, uh, and I, I, I can see why law enforcement would believe that he is out there somewhere because he's not in the bar. Mm-hmm. Now, would he? Pardon me for mispronouncing this. Is it the Olentangy? Olentangy. Olentangy. Would he be crossing that river? the Olentangy River, on his way home. I don't, I don't believe so. I don't think so. No, so not, not the route from, not the most direct route from the bar to his house. Water's okay. not that far from the bar, but he right. wouldn't be crossing some bridge because that's the other speculation yeah. too is that, you know, guys stopped to take a pissa and uh, fell into the into the river. And, yep. got, and got swept away. Yeah, uh, not a trace of him. To yeah, be but found, yeah, nothing. but Brian would have to actually go out of his way to hit any body sure. of water, unless he was. But that's the thing, though, too, is if he gets out of the bar. So uh, let's put that to rest. There was no, there's no sign of struggle. There's no sign of foul play. When I have talked to security guards myself, they've said. That whole idea that somebody couldn't get out of that complex or that bar without being seen on video footage is absolutely nonsense. That's what security has stated. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not what the detectives in this case have stated. It's not incredibly easy, but it's not impossible, is right. what they're saying. But but when you – I used to play at a bar across the courtyard, and I talked to a lot of the security guards, and a couple of them said, look – I bet every weekend there is multiple people that leave that complex without being seen on on footage, hmm. uh, like a clear cut. Oh, I know that's so and so that left the bar. So there goes the colonel. Um, so that's coming from security guards, and then coming from the band, they're convinced that when they left, that there was customers, that there was their friends, there was people that worked at the bar. When your buddy tells you, a guy that you know really well, it wouldn't surprise me if if Brian was in that group of people when we left. What about the parking garage? His friends, Clint and Meredith? Yeah, and they, camera footage from those, too. From so, the parking garage? Yeah. And, and from and, Clint and Meredith? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, so there's camera footage of them walking back to their car? Well, yeah. well Captain, clear that up for me because I've I've heard the same thing too that there is camera footage in that parking garage, which which makes sense. This is a even to this day now being thirteen fourteen year old parking garage is still very well lit. It's it looks brand new, today. It's, right? It's it's bright as all get out. Like you you yeah. can't. There's not a dark corner in that uh, parking garage. But regarding the footage, do you know if that's just footage of incoming and outgoing cars and vehicles, or is it footage of people? I think you can see some people walking because what they did know and what it, there's a video somewhere. I think it was, like I said, 
or like you were saying earlier, this was covered for like nine to 10 minutes on a dateline or nine to 10 minutes on a 2020 or something. Mm -hmm. And at some point they have a investigator walking from the parking garage and we know that they walked through these two pillars and then they walked out the door to the, the double door to the courtyard and Mm -hmm. then they went up the escalator. So if you know that they went through these two pillars, you're seeing them on video footage. Right. And so there's a lot of times when I pl- played that same area where I'd park on the same side, try to walk the same way that they did. And and we know from, because uh, it's, a, it's a paid garage. So Clint and Meredith had to have an exit ticket. Mm-hmm. So they have evidence that Clint and Meredith left that when Meredith they parked there. Right. When, when they said they left. Right. So here's, here's a quick little rundown of the end of the night events as I understand them. And now I'm taking some pieces from people's stories and piecing them together to kind of make it a longer timeline that makes sense to me. According to Clint's statement is once Brian came back into the bar, this is after talking to the two girls just immediately outside the main entrance to the bar, that he saw Brian enter the bar. This is Clint's words on the record. We saw him enter the bar. We lost track of him at some point, and then before we knew it, it was time to leave. So let's extend that on both sides a little bit. So at some point, I... the way that I've envisioned this going down is that Brian says to Clint and or Meredith, I'm going to go talk to the band or keep in mind, this is a, this would have been a loud crowded area. We know there's a band playing, even if it's a break in music, there's a lot of people talking and shouting. He could have, he could have said, I'm going to go talk to fill in the blank. Right. It could have been anything. They could have misheard him. What we do know happens is, is he does go outside. It's fact. He's seen on camera. He goes outside and he talks to two young ladies. There is, according to their words, they exchange phone numbers. I, I, I believe they just gave him their numbers. I believe is the way that this goes down. They leave. Those two girls leave. They don't go back in the bar. Brian is seen moving as such that you would believe that he's re-entering the bar. You can't physically see him walk through the doors. Then we have Clint's statement of, we saw Brian re-enter the bar, lost track of him. Then it's last call. It's time to go. We're looking for him. We check the restrooms. Then we go outside with the rest of the patrons. Everybody else is ushered out through the doors. Now we're outside waiting around, milling about, looking for him, waiting for him to appear from leaving the bar. And at some point, Meredith starts calling Brian's cell phone. And we do know this happened because of one phone records and two, somewhere you can hear a voicemail that she leaves. And I think she says something like, it's just a real quick one, you know, where the hell are you? You know, it's something like that. And this seems all very the way you would think it would go down. We've all been in this situation. The only difference is none of us ever went missing. None of our friends ever went missing. You know, you, you get separated and you call them, you send a text. Well, let's, let's stay on that point for a second. Since this is a round table discussion, have you ever been out with a group of friends that you, you drove to that bar with three people or however many people and you left without one of them? I've been the guy who's who left. 
I've been the guy that left the group. Yeah. I left all of them there. For Irish whatever. exit? Yes, for what it, mostly because- uh, What did you say that was? Irish, Irish exit. Yeah. Exit. Oh. That's when you don't say goodbye. You just leave. You're just a little drunk, yeah. usually, yeah. Yeah, and that's because you know if you stay, you're going to get over that point of like too much drinking and, mm-hmm. and you know your limits, so you you- you gracefully uh, exit the situation. <laughs> you, you bow out. You bow out. Now, from there, I would walk to the train and take the public transportation back to my. Uh, Boom! You're on camera, and I'm on camera. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm also I, I'm also like clearly intoxicated, and still aware. Like I can remember doing this, so I'm still aware of what I was doing because. I left knowing that if I had one more, that would be too much. Yeah. So I, it wasn't. It wasn't like I was crazy blackout drunk. I knew that 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 would be the case if I stayed. Well, now it's more common for a male to do this. Yes. Or this to be, because I think sometimes when people look into this case, they go, "I'd never leave my friend alone," and I'd argue, "Yeah, I if." If a free if a female friend wanted to stay back and talk to the band, I'm not leaving them. But if my buddy was like, I'm gonna go talk to the band, I'd be like, Cool, dude, I'm out. Yeah, sometimes yeah. sometimes you just lose track. You're doing mm-hmm. your own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the other question, the narrative was always Brian was gonna go on vacation starting Monday and he was possibly gonna to propose to his girlfriend. And so the idea that he was trying to hook up with anybody um, I think initially was like taboo to say, like because he's missing, we don't want to say there's evidence of him trying to hook up with other girls. Well, there isn't, you know, he might've gotten someone's number drunk, but that's not hooking up with someone. Well, it, no, it but, might not be cool, but, but we do have their statement saying that he was aggressively hitting on them. Okay. And I, and I think that's, you know, again, that that doesn't point to evidence that he was trying to have a one night stand with anybody, but he's also aggressively flirting with somebody that he didn't know. And did he have somebody else on the side? Did he have? Did Brian have an ex girlfriend that he called for hookups? Did anyone hear about that? Well, so there's some speculation lately that his high school girlfriend. Um, which was real close to him. He grew up in Pickerington, and she moved away for school. And there was a lot of rumors that been coming out lately that he had a on again, on again and off again hookup relationship with her. So when she'd come back into town, they would hook up, whether or not she had a boyfriend or whether or not he had a girlfriend. So, but I, as far as that night, I don't think she was. I don't even know if she was in town that night. What about his mental psychological autopsy? Yeah. What What's the mindset of somebody so in the thick of medical school? What's that person like outside of going out and having some shots and, and drinking with buddies? This is a really driven guy, correct? Yeah, absolutely. He was in in uh, college, university for six years at that point or seven years. Committed to being a doctor. Yeah. But I, I see, I wonder, to me, that's debatable. Whether he was committed to? Yeah. Okay. Just because. There's there's very strong evidence 
for both sides of that argument. Right. Here, here's one thing that I found interesting uh, is that he worked at J.C. Penney at one point too. Oh yeah, yeah, you were talking about that before. And I, I actually think he worked there for a, a pretty lengthy time. And that's my point. He worked there for I think four and a half to five years, right, and so right. that shows incredible commitment. No, I mean, no, that, no, that's no, no, J.C. No, Penney. No, oh. no, no, no. I I taught guitar like I was telling you, maybe eleven to twelve years. I want to. What does that mean? No. Well, you're saying that because he worked at a job for X amount of years that he's driven. I would say that 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 well, point. No, they're saying committed. Okay. Yeah, I that's think, a commitment. I mean, three or four years. Yeah, because that's a pretty disposable job. No offense to anyone who works at J.C. Penney. I think, but, but there's a lot of jobs exactly job. like that. One. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if it didn't work out for whatever reason, or he had to miss a shift and got fired, or had to quit because of something awkward. Yeah, but how many? Got any, how many guys job? did you know? roughly in their 20s that were dating somebody for three years and you want to you, you go oh they're dating for three years they're committed but you know that they're not that committed to the relationship it's, all i'm saying is like just because you have a job for a long time it could have been one of those jobs where it's like it's really hard to get fired you can kind of <laughs> do whatever you want all i'm saying is i think i mean i think it's safe to assume that maybe he was committed but well, I, I think you have to because that's what—that's all we have to go off of—is what the record shows. The record would show that he was an employee for X amount of years, not X amount of weeks or months. So, if we yeah, t- but my argument is that we all know somebody that's had the same job for a very long time that you would not state them as a committed employee to that employer. Okay, I see your points. Yeah. yeah. I think I think what what uh, Tim is more so talking about is committed to that the certain lifestyle that he has created and maintained. Right. You know, he's a longtime student of the same university. He's a longtime employee of the same employer, and so regarding his mental makeup, let's say the unfortunate, horrible thing is his mother passes away like three weeks before he goes missing. And so he was very close to his mother. There's no one to say anything different. And no ma- even if you're not close to a parent, well, he's you lose a parent, can, it's a tragic thing. Yeah, a lot of people close in the circle call him a mama's boy, and, and that's not a bad thing. He really cared about his mom. Yeah. What about his financial situation? Was, was he going to get an great. inheritance, I guess? So back to the, the schooling thing real quick. Yeah. Um, but where I was going with that is there, there are several people in his family that say he chose the medical field as a way of making his parents proud. Uh, it was, it was something that, that was obvious that they would be extremely proud of. And he was very, according to, according to these individuals, he was very driven to become, uh, to work in the field of medicine a lot for his mother. For right. that 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 relationship, right. be it whether she's around or not. Now, the the difficult thing about his mental makeup would be his father did kind of, in my opinion, skew the narrative a bit on Brian. And this is not uncommon for parents or loved ones to champion or romanticize their missing or or, or lost one, but. You know, the narrative that he kind of put forward and fed to the public is Brian was uh, 
well on his way to graduating, something that he had you know, been working toward for many years. He was getting very good grades, always has. He was going to uh, propose to his girlfriend, probably on this vacation. Right. But let's dive into that; those things right there. Yeah. He never purchased a ring. Okay, that was my now, question. and I understand you can you can't ask somebody to marry you without a ring. That mm-hmm. well, that's you not can crazy. also purchase that ring on the weekend. It wasn't on, like there was there was a couple days left for right. him to be able to purchase a ring. Right. But there's there's but there's no evidence of him purchasing a ring. To actually, there's all this evidence saying he never did. Right. We don't know that he ever went and looked at anything or, or pursued that. His grades, he got. If, if you if you talk to other family members, and now his father's passed away, so we 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 don't have him here to argue this. But the other family members say he got okay grades. Right. It wasn't like he he wasn't like, you know. You know, Dean's list. Dean's list. Yes, yeah, he thank wasn't you. Doogie Howser. But, but there's a lot of accounts <laughs> saying that. <laughs> a lot of accounts saying that he got excellent grades. Right. I think a lot of people will look at someone who's in medical school and wants to be a doctor. They're instantly like very, very smart. Doogie yeah. Howser. Well, yeah, but I think sometimes again, it's a missing person. Yeah. So when you're interviewed, how was he as a student? Uh, well, he, he was, was excellent. He was excellent. <laughs> and the whole time they're going, that guy was a shit bag and showed up drunk all the time. But I can't say that because he's missing. But he's got a degree in microbiology. Like, I, I got to be honest. I couldn't do that. I if, could wake up in the morning and get a degree <laughs> in microbiology. Yeah. I, I can commit myself as hard as I can, and I don't think I'd be able to do it. Well, after drinking with you last night, I agree with you. <laughs> so <laughs> Thank you, you. You can see a bit of the confusion regarding his lifestyle, though, where I, I firmly believe that, that Randy, maybe even unintentionally, Skewed the narrative. Randy, the father. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I think he kind of skewed the narrative, whether he did that knowingly or not. And, and it might not mean anything at all, but I think what it is, is it's more ways to suggest that something happened to my son that was beyond my son's control. And the, the exact wording that police give when they're seeking information regarding Brian's whereabouts or what could have happened to Brian is that they do not believe that he left on his, of his own accord, but their his disappearance is mysterious. It's unexplainable. Yeah. Right. Suspicious disappearance. Right. I'm on the uh, I'm on the old Bing machine, and it looks like there's a lot of new construction in the area. So I'm wondering yeah. what there's even a on uh, on Earth here. You can see a, a construction site that has just been started, and right across the street. Mm-hmm. Right. Obviously, that's a that's a new one. That's not the one from when he went missing. But there's a building here on the corner that looks brand new. Does is this? I don't know how familiar you are with it. Um, this looks brand new, but there's a camera right there on top of the building that, right. that shows the entire intersection, which I think is interesting. But so, this, I, I would just be curious if this building existed back then. I also wanted to, just on the surveillance topic real quick, um, I just wanted to mention that it, a lot of bars had live streams back, back uh, 10, 15 years ago right. on the internet. And uh, it actually looks like the Ugly Tuna Saluna had a live stream. Yeah, so, but, and what makes this a little eerie, and we talked a little bit about this last night, is... Pretty much anything from that weekend, as far as promotion, who the band was, the calendar, everything has been swiped away. Yeah, that's that's a law enforcement thing, I think. Yeah, see, see, that's that's interesting because 
a lot of people think, well, that's shady on their part, but law enforcement has said time and time again, this company has been very cooperative to us. And it's also a weird thing, too, because if he went missing south of Columbus, not by Ohio State campus, this would stay on the Internet. Information would stay on the Internet longer. But because it's connected to the university, it gets buried in Google searches. Like, they try to hide some of this stuff. Does, who, who, who are, who's they? Who's... Well, is it is the, it intentional? The, yes, it's the universities do it. The university is trying to suppress some of the information that would be put out there to, yeah. to protect we, their reputation. Well, we've seen this uh, a couple times because Joey Labute went missing around that area, wasn't a student, but any time that there's a, been a missing person from Ohio State, you get on Google, it's flooded initially. And then they start burying that. That's why. I, that's, because, why I, that's why I'm always on Bing. Because they do not want you. They do not want some somebody's parent googling Ohio State, and the first thing that comes up is medical students missing. Yeah, and we've heard that with Maura Murray and UMass as well, but um, that's uh, out of their control at this and point. And the state of New Hampshire, right? At, well, at the people who run the White Mountain region, junior college enrollment just went. Way up, yeah. way up. I'm going to community school for you, son. I feel safe at a community college. What about his cell phone? Yeah, when did it stop ringing? Yeah, that's weird. And when did it start ringing again and then stop? Mm. So his his girlfriend would try it repeatedly, and then one day, it, it so it would always go to voicemail when mm. she was trying it. Right and then to one voicemail. Day, yeah, and then it, one day it, it rang like three times. It seems like that... It didn't ring at all from the beginning. Once they knew he was missing, right? right? They would call and it would just go straight to voicemail. So that night? that that So that Saturday and that Sunday, people are calling Brian. Now, so in the we know the girlfriend was calling on Saturday. It's just, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends tend to talk every day. You know, no big deal. She's not heard from him. But I think she kind of sounds the alarm sometime on Sunday when she returned, she's up in Toledo at the time visiting her family. So she's like a two hour drive from where he was last seen. So she comes back into town. And I think by this point, Brian's father, Randy has already called attempted to call him, but there's no red flags for Randy yet until she returns to town, the girlfriend and alerts Randy saying, I, you know, haven't been able to get a hold of him. They go to his apartment. He's not answering the door. Then this this spawns uh, the family, the girlfriend, to start looking in the area. Okay, and by Sunday night, they're looking in dumpsters. That's not not a great feeling. Not a great situation when you right. are looking in dumpsters. So. They, at some point, notify the police department to which the the decision is made. I don't know if it was made amongst the family and law enforcement or if it was just made amongst the family that, well, if he doesn't show up for this plane ride, this this flight to Florida on Monday morning, he bought the ticket. Yeah. And we should throw this out there, too. This is this is a guy that is very much in debt from his from being a college guy for so many years 
So it's it's not like you willy-nilly just buy a plane ticket and don't show up. Right. Do do we know if he charged it or if he uh, paid debit or whatever? My my guess, this is just a guess, is that he charged it because I don't remember if it was the private investigator that was later hired by the family or if it was the one of the detectives involved. But when discussing Brian's finances, one of them pointed to he had multiple credit. He had, you know, multiple lines of credit and right. credit card debt. Okay. Which is not that uncommon for a student because no. you have, especially a student of that, as far as books and stuff goes, those can be very expensive. And, and, and JCPenney's not paying for all that. Have so, you guys, oh, sorry. So back to the cell phone thing, though. Mm. So it, we know people are calling him that weekend. We can assume that the, the calls simply to find out where he is continued for some time. Right. But at some point, his girlfriend, heartbroken, decides to cope with this. It's some kind of, it's comforting to her to call his cell phone. And she said that she would do it once a day, at least once a day, and it would usually be in the evening. Well, he goes missing March 31st, April 1st. She's calling this daily, calling the cell phone daily. And it was at some point in September where the phone always went just straight to voicemail. But on this one particular day in September, it rings three times. I, how in the world did she handle that? She said it was the best sound she ever heard, I think. Yeah. I mean, and then, but to so quickly have that hope just crushed. Right. That's insane. Yeah, because then they contact the cell company. So what was it? So we got a ping, right? Well, Singular told the, yeah, we did get a ping. So the ping went to a tower in Hilliard, Ohio. So Columbus is directly in the center. Hilliard would be, as I call it, just straight west. It's like a straight shot west of Columbus. But the newspapers said it was 14 miles northwest of Columbus. So, but again, if that's an incoming call, is that is that reliable? Because you're now seeing that with like the Adnan Syed case, where they're saying ping technology, especially around that time, uh, only worked when it was like outgoing call would be reliable, but an incoming call wouldn't be reliable. Well, and f- to further that thought, they give a pretty detailed explanation for that, but it is a little bit of a guess. But you're, but let's keep in mind. Where we're hearing the explanation from is law enforcement. We're not hearing it directly from Singular, who law enforcement spoke with. But what law enforcement has stated is that they were told by Singular that what most likely occurred is that there was so much action on the circuit, so many people calling or or using data, whatever, that when she attempted to call him, it should have just gone straight to voicemail. But instead, there's so much activity it then bounced to another tower. And when it bounced to another tower is when it would have started ringing. And then once it's accepted by that tower, it's dropped because it, or, or went straight to voicemail because now it's actually connecting. It's almost like a hold on signal yeah. for the person calling, even though you think that it's, Oh my God, some he turned on his phone or somebody's got his phone. The crazy thing though, too, is What's so wild about this, it's not unheard of for someone to kill someone and keep their phone. I mean, we know Long Island serial killer did it to the point where he not only kept the victim's phone, but then reached out to family members of the victim 
well, to that taunt ex- them that and ex- harass them. Right, and that would explain the hundreds of cell phones in your trunk. So I remember before this explanation went out, before this explanation came out by police, because there was a rumor that his phone rang. Mm-hmm. And my immediate, you know, my immediate thought is somebody kept his phone yeah. and just happened to have it turned on at that moment for whatever reason, and it caught a ring. It caught a call. Yeah, my initial thought was it was Brian turning on turning on his phone in this suburb of Columbus, which is a little distance away, and uh, far, yeah. also not where he grew up in Pinkerington. Pinkerington, uh, Pinkerington, <laughs> yeah. not bad. <laughs> so, Close uh, enough. So how far is Pickerington? So it's almost on the opposite side. Okay. So you, Columbus would be pretty much in the middle, and Pickerington would be to the east and Hilliard to the west. I would have found it to be better evidence if the ping happened in Pickerington. Pickerington, yeah. Right. Did you guys hear any rumor about him wanting to break up with his girlfriend beforehand? Wasn't there something out there that he said he wasn't coping with the loss of his mother, and he told his girlfriend that he she should move on? The voicemail he leaves for his girlfriend the same night that he went missing, he mm-hmm. tries to call her at some point while they're out bar hopping. Right. And I, I, he leaves a voicemail for her that, that can be heard. You can track it down on the internet. But it's, to me, like if, you know, I'm a, I'm a beautiful woman, right? You are. I'm sitting across it, it, it would be Gorgeous. The, it would be the voicemail that I, as a beautiful woman, would want to receive from a handsome man. I mean, it, he, it's from like Tim he, from Tim. Yes. Right. Basically, Brian, and, and this isn't verbatim, but he, he calls and he says something like just still out with the friends. I, they were asking about you. I'm telling them how wonderful you are. You are the most amazing woman. I love you. See you soon. Is that, does that sound about right? Captain? Yeah. Thank you. We should pause and, and actually t- take a listen to it. Hey, gorgeous. I just want to say hi and tell you that, uh, For all of our old episodes, you can find them on the Stitcher app. Yes, the Stitcher app is awesome and it's free. So if you want to check out our original coverage of the Brian Schaefer case, just use the little drop down and it's under the year 2016. Yeah, the Brian Schaefer case is episode number 16 and 17. All right, we'll see everybody back here in the garage tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 